0: Hey everyone, this is Mark Trichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. I'm excited today to have the CEO of Member Business Financial Services QSO,
1: Mark Ritter with me today. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. And you can just call it MBFS so I don't tongue tie you the whole thing uh, Yeah, that's episode. better.
0: M- MBFS QSO. And you're also a podcast host of the credit of credit union conversations. And I was fortunate enough to chat with you a couple of weeks back. And we have a mutual friend, Vin, Vin Vieten, who helps me with my clients. And Vin and I were chatting about some of your war stories from back in the day, the other day. But Mark, I wanna, I've got your bio here and just my, my audience uh, knows your extensive background. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through it here. Mark is the CEO of MBFS and New Directional Lending and an expert in credit unions and business lending. His primary role at MBFS is overseeing the strategy of helping credit unions assist members with business needs and consulting with credit unions on planning the delivery of services to their membership. In 2002, Mark started a large Central Pennsylvania Credit Union's business lending program as one person and a desk with no policies, products, staff, systems, or business members. That program grew to be one of the top 10 in the nation. In 2012, he took on the challenge of being the CEO of a business lending CUSO. Mark was the fifth CEO in five years for the organization. That's a lot of turnover. That's more turnover than the NCUA board at times, which lost, many, which, which lost money every month of its existence. Since joining MBFS, Mark increased the number of credit unions in the QSO and revenue by over 10x and ensured positive cash flow every full year he's been at the QSO. More importantly, MBFS has helped countless credit union members gain the financing they need for business and investment needs. Mark's a native of Berwick, Pennsylvania, in northeast Pennsylvania, where he was a member of his high school's nationally ranked and state championship football team. After high school, Mark hung up his cleats to work for the Penn State Nittany Lions full time as a student assistant while attending Penn State as an undergrad. During this time, Penn State transitioned to the Big Ten and culminated in Penn State's first Big Ten championship and a trip to the Rose Bowl. Mark remains an avid Penn State supporter. Today, Mark lives in Bucks County, PA, outside of Doylestown with his wife and two teeth. Mark, I I didn't realize that you were a, a part of the Big Ten family. I'm a golden gopher. Most sports, probably everything but hockey, you're probably better than us right now. Anyway, welcome to the show, Mark.
1: Thank you. And thanks for the audience for putting up with my long bio. It makes me think I have to shorten it up. Nah, Minnesota's long, getting, there's
0: a lot a lot of good information there.
1: Minnesota's getting a little better every year. And they got a f- couple sports that they clip us on, but not too many. Not too
0: many. No, not too many. Not too many. So you, uh, you're at a credit union. They didn't even have member business loans. And now you're helping members all across the country. And so, Mark, one of the things in our pre- pre-chat, we talked about how things have changed in credit unions, in commercial lending, et cetera, et cetera, and exams back then versus exams today. Why don't you take me through a little bit of the of a timeline of the journey of different things you've seen in commercial loans, at the QSO and as it relates to NCUA? I, I, there's a lot loaded into that question, but but let me know your thoughts on all that. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And I'll give you the point of comparison. The industry has grown so much, but I remember looking back early in my career and when I started in Pennsylvania, there was a total of $13 million in business loans among every credit union in Pennsylvania. And most of those, and funny as it sounds, most of those were at the Amish Credit Union, who was doing Amish business loans at the time. Today, there's credit unions that just do deals bigger than that on a regular basis. Sure. So the the industry was virtually nothing. And I knew enough at the time and... I, I, okay, I was your typical at a community bank. I knew oh, go out and talk and shake hand handshakes and everything. But uh, it was an incredible opportunity because I had to learn everything and everything systems. Uh, I I never wrote a policy. I not uh, a policy. I never wrote a policy, and. There were there were virtually no CUSOs at the time to help people. And when you called a, a system person and said you were from a credit union, they looked at you like you had three heads. You were literally, this was Lewis and Clark in the Wild West during that generation. Sure. And, but the one thing that I found is the credit unions had an, an awful lot of members who were small business owners. And needed and they liked their credit union, but they just didn't do it at the time. So it was such a fascinating experience because you had this such strong affinity of people who love our credit unions and but they couldn't go to the credit union at the time. sure. And, no. and really, what I found from NCUA at the time, and you could probably back me up on this, is Mm -hmm. they didn't know what they didn't know, even at the time. Uh, And and I always say when we talked to each other, it was like an eighth grade dance because we were both staring at each other with nothing, nobody knew what to do.
0: And you think about that, they're self-employed, so you need to have the tax return in the file. So thinking, putting my my time back when I was uh, an examiner at the time, and then, then you'd go through the phase of, okay, you got the tax return, whether it's a self-employed or it's the business. Now, now we need to understand what that means and adding back depreciation and, and what does that mean? And when NCUA, when I was in let's see, I started in somewhere between 86 and 89, maybe 90. I went down to LSU for two training classes because NCUA was starting to see commercial loans. There was a big credit union in Texas that had caused some problems for the insurance fund. Which then turns into, hey, we did need to step up our training. So they sent us down to the LSU School of Banking of the South. I remember uh, a teacher there, Willie Stotts, looked a little bit like Groucho Marx, fabulous teacher. And he's giving an example about when he worked at a bank and it, they had, he took over some troubled credits and they had made loans to a chicken farm. And he started talking about, you got to keep the chickens alive and you got to get the feed and all these different things that, that, his bank didn't understand when they made these loans that you might end up with the collateral and ncua raised the bar collectively or individually of different people and it might have been when i was a problem case officer that i went to that training but i learned enough there Maybe to be dangerous, but I learned enough there to raise the bar, raise that conversation from an eighth grade conversation to maybe 11th grade in the summer, between 11th and 12th grade, perhaps, where we were able to, I was able to ask some questions, which led the credit union to ask more questions of their members, et cetera, et cetera. So did that ring any bells? The thoughts of the transition to to tax returns and then uh, now we're in the world of global
1: cash flows. The, the funniest piece from those days is we were at a large credit union and we were about an hour and a half from Alexandria. And I noticed all of us, like, I I was just getting NCUA exams and people reviewing my files, like more than any other time that I've ever had in my life. And finally, I, I sat down and I asked them, I said, let me ask you this. Are, are you just sending people here to, re, to train them? And, and they said, yes, that's exactly what we're doing. I go, because we're the only ones doing business loans in any volume at this time. They're like, yeah, there's nowhere else we can go in this region. So I said, oh, OK, let's sit down and work together and I'll guide you through a file and talk about what we do rather than me just slapping a file on you and coming back with a bunch of comments that don't make sense. So really, uh, my my outlook on that is much more of a partnership and conversation sure. versus badiveness because the commercial lending side and even the small business lending piece, it's much more of an art form and subjectiveness as compared to a mortgage loan, where these are the 20 things that need to go into it. Here's the compliance. This mortgage loan looks exactly like the next mortgage loan. And I think that's probably the piece that examiners struggle with more than anything else, as well as the credit union. And, and credit unions, what we really figured out at that time is you really have to make it a story for somebody to open up with who can understand it sure. and have a conversation with.
0: Yeah, here's the narrative. Here's the write-up on that loan with why it makes sense. And I asked these questions and I had these follow-ups and I, we, I mentioned Vin Beaton and Vin has talked a lot about, it's like he viewed uh, his role when he was, before he came to NCUA and he worked as a, a lender, he viewed it as a really an opportunity to help the small business understand how they could see succeed because of the interview. It was like a free consultation, if you will, that have you thought of this and you have thought of this, because if I'm going to If you're going to get money from me, I need to understand that I'm going to get it back. So if I'm thinking this is how I might get it back and I pass these things on to you, you can improve their thought process on how to make their business succeed.
1: That's exactly right. And really, and at this point, too, you know, the piece that we were lifting up is you have the lender and the business, but we're also educating the regulators, the board, the senior management on how we can help everybody succeed, improve the local economy, and bring everything together. And and I think that's the one piece that credit unions, as the industry matures, is that never forget at the end of this food chain, there's a small business who has hopes and dreams and a mission of really improving their life, having improved employees and don't forget that piece of it, which is why we're here.
0: Sure. Sure. And that business uh, is contributing to the community, whether it's two employees or 25 employees that need to get paid every Friday or every other Friday, which, which keep the economic engine of this great country that we, that we live in going.
1: Absolutely.
0: I, can you think of any specific examples of a an aha moment of on a type of loan like right now you can read in the Wall Street Journal you can read in in Bloomberg there's this anxiety about office space which is a certain type of business loan and then there's there's collateral based lending which might have a crop loan when I was an examiner one way I learned some things was I had some farm credit unions because I was from Minnesota and the whole board was farmers, the credit committee was farmers. And if they were given a tractor loan, they understood it. And I learned from them. And if they had a crop loan, you know, I remember the first concept, guess what? The crop loan, it should be paid off every, every, at the end of every crop. And so these different nuances, can you think of any examples or aha moments of certain types of loans where, where you were able to move the ball relative but- to something along those lines?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I can think of the Great Recession. And I never did as high quality of loans as I did during as any time except during the Great Recession. Those were the best loans that I have ever done. And really, I can think of one RV dealership that we helped restructure during the Great Recession. And and roll back in time, not unlike today, where people just weren't lending, and there was a there was a, there was a demand issue, and then there and people weren't lending, and we had a very well run business, very well run business that was struggling with the manufacturers because of the because of the Great Recession. And, but what we were able to do was go in and look at his business on a micro level, micro level, understanding him his customers and and put together a package. And for years after that, as I talked with him, he always, every time I talked to him, he said, Mark, you saved my business. You saved my business. And that's where I tell people credit unions have the advantage. If you're a national bank, if you're a super regional bank, you're lending into these large buckets. And delinquency in certain areas is increasing. It was, think like office space. But that doesn't mean delinquency is 100% and in you you have the advantage of getting into your members in your towns in your neighborhoods and making decisions based off of individual fact versus saying and I'll give you I'll give you my peeve example people always say I don't lend to gas stations why too much risk if the only thing I did was lend to sheets and Wawa gas stations on the leases, my life would be bo- very boring and very profitable. There's gas stations that don't make sense. those aging gas stations, but it's not a hundred percent. And really, during that great recession is that's when I really learned that you need to dig in on a micro level and be a credit union for your members and not just say, We're turning our back on this segment of the community. There's very, unless you're a video rental company that was dying and going away, there's very few industries where just 100% of the people are going to go bad.
0: Sure. Sure, there are no <laughs> absolutes,
1: right? And if you're gonna if you're gonna write off every business, it's
0: like the the thing in Congress where bond owners were having difficult getting bank accounts, and I, there was a congressional hearing on it. It's so, no, we don't say that they can't have business, but the but when the government came out with some guidance, all the big banks were just like, you know what? We're not going to deal with them. We're not going to look. We're not going to look at them individually. We're going to look at them collectively and say. The, it, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. On credit unions, it's about serving everybody, and so taking the time to understand them. That RV story is is a great a great example of how credit unions can help. My internet cut out right there for some reason. Mark, could you repeat what? Could you repeat what you just?
1: Yeah. So that's what I really enjoy with credit unions, and why I love what I do is just because of that. We we can talk to people and make. Yeah, you always have to have the financials always have to make sense. That's a given. But to me, it's more about the story and understanding the business and the relationship and how it can fit into your strategy. And sometimes I think we lose that as the industry matures because we have people just want to say, "Okay, let me just look at the financials. Or maybe we have some newer people that I, I reminisce about these days. Where the industry's gotten so large, maybe we're just lending in that box of, I just want to do these deals. But I just think we're missing the opportunity and who we are as a credit union. Because way back when, the NCUA put us in a box and we had very little flexibility about what we do and and today i always say the last thing in your way of a successfully serving business members is the ncua because they have never been more flexible and given people more freedom to do what they want to do today now with that comes great responsibility but you cannot blame the well, there's always that straw man the ncua why we can't do that that does not exist today when serving businesses
0: yeah, that's a great point. And there was the old rule, for example, that said your LTV had to be 80% and you could get a waiver if it was over that. And, and then they shifted to a more principled based approach to what your policies have to include it and what your staff skill sets have to be as opposed to you having to be spelled out the way the regulation said it used to be. Yeah, I agree. The, the regulation has come a long way and NCUA has come a long way relative to giving credit unions the opportunity to best serve their members. But like you said, a lot of responsibility that, that comes with that. The CUSO, a lot of different credit unions own it. And how does that structure all work? Is it t- to gain access
1: to participate, it, it, you have to be an owner? Or how does that structure all work, Mark? So, so MBFS is owned by 13 credit unions, but we work with more than 100 credit unions nationwide. So we, we try to make it very easy for people to, to work with us. And what I always say is a CUSO like us, it can be a, a few different, pe- people should really use a CUSO for the gain efficiencies. And I think that's one of the main pieces of these systems that we have are expensive. And to gain, to get, to be, to gain access to scale, We help with participations. We help with originations. We can make your program grow much bigger. It used to be that you went to a CUSO for expertise. And I would say people should go to their uh, business lending CUSO for niche expertise. You can't be an expert on everything. But a lot of times people encounter a situation or they're running into some difficulty, you could call us up and say, what do you think? You shouldn't be going to a CUSO for what I'll call base expertise like you used to 20 years ago. 20 years ago, you could say, who's the expert? And you would point at the CUSO and say, these guys tell us what to do. It's not like that anymore. You you have to understand what you do on the basic level and, and stay within that box. But we really can help grow and do it much more efficiently than maybe doing everything internally.
0: Very good. Very good. And if looking forward, so there's what it used to be back at the beginning, there's the progress everybody's made. What do you see 2024, 2025 and beyond for the CUSO and or for commercial lending and credit unions?
1: You, you made a good point where there was always this rule of eighty percent LTV, and what that jammed the industry into was being a real estate lender. Now we would do any loan as long as it had a piece of real estate, and I think the sh- and the shift is going to be, I, or I think it should be, and it's and it'll help people to shift to much more of relationships over commercial lending. You want relationships where they're bringing you the deposits. You want relationships. SBA lending is the best program out there that our federal government has, and it's the most underutilized by credit unions, other than a couple niche players. You can help people grow their business with a properly managed line of credit. And they probably have a building that they need to refinance too. But, you know, 10% of the businesses out there own their building. We can help people a lot more by focusing on relationships, focusing on deposits, focusing on loans to small businesses, and not just saying it's a better loan because I have a piece of real estate behind it.
0: Excellent. Excellent point. And deposits are becoming, we're in an environment right now where deposit growth is as tight as it's ever been. So that relationship and the ability to bring over all the business uh, is a real opportune time right now for credit unions as it relates to that. Mark, are there any questions today that I haven't yet asked you that perhaps I should have?
1: Yeah, I I think I really like talking about the future and I could rem, we could both reminisce the war stories of commercial lending exams from 30 years ago, but I think we'd bore people after a couple hours. Right, I, I really just think people, like I said, just reiterate that focus on the business, focus on relationships, but also today keeping in mind is that your loans, your' it's in it's all about a portfolio strategy and not individual loans. and you're you can't just make the same loan a hundred times over and say I have a good portfolio. You need a balanced portfolio with a nice diversified mix whether that's participations, business loans, different industries, different geographies. If you just make the same loan 100 times over to 100 different borrowers, that's not a diversified portfolio.
0: That's a great point. So, and I, you know, yeah. And I've had conversations recently with clients relative to uh, pointing out to NCUA that they do have a diverse commercial loan portfolio because they do 10 different varieties of loans and then building on looking at that as it relates to concentration risk And looking at that as it relates to net worth and all sorts of things. And and, uh, And
1: one type alone is not diversity. And so many people, our industry has grown so much and the expertise level. But sometimes when we bring in the new outsiders, many of them, if they came from a commercial bank, they tend to have that sort of mentality. Where it's not as cooperative and sharing. So if you're listening to this from a commercial bank, it's okay to share with people. It's okay to learn from people. It's okay to cooperate with people. And you're and and you don't have to hide everything. And it's okay to work together where you maybe didn't do that in some of your past life. But other than that, I had a great time. Thank you yeah, for thank having you. me. Yeah,
0: Mark, I want to thank you for being on the show and providing your insights. Now, if someone One of my listeners wants to reach out and talk to you about the QSO or your podcast. What's the best way for someone to reach you?
1: Sure. Please subscribe to Credit Union Conversations on your favorite audio platform. Just, and you can do that the second after you hit subscribe for this podcast. Please, yeah, that's the easiest way to make sure we come up on your feed to work. But we would love to talk to you about your portfolio and program to see if it's a fit at mbfs.org. You can also check out my personal website of markritter.com. But a lot of people message me. I'm very active on LinkedIn as well. Just search Mark Ritter on LinkedIn and you'll find me. That's great, Mark. And I'll put those contact points in the show notes uh, for this episode.
0: And I want to thank you again for your time today. Thank you. Very good. And listeners, I want to thank you, uh, as always, for listening. I hope you'll listen again soon. This is Mark Treichel, signing off with Flying Colors.